Welcome to the Found Cause, where we found a cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael Bam behind the machine. To my virtual front, it's first my normal co-host, Sebastian the Bookkeeper, and our increasingly common guest co-host slash original founder, Theodore under the PC, the person of Christ. It has snowed like five, six inches, something pretty mild here in Minnesota, but bad enough that we didn't want to drive on the roads. I'd recently crashed my car actually in the snow, so um, just trepidatious fear that we're doing this over the airwaves. But Today, we have a special reaction for the guests at home. Um, we alternate, if you are familiar with our podcast schedules, of uh, deep theological comments and then crazy reaction videos. Some of them are very mild. Some of them are even friendly to other Christians, but most of them are for people we thoroughly disagree with. Today is no different. Sebastian, would you be able to give us a synopsis of who we're about to react to, considering me and Theodore do not do our research, but you do? Sure. So this is going to be Reverend Brendan Robertson. So he's a reverend. He, yes, he nice. is a reverend, and he is a progressive. He openly identifies as a progressive. He openly identifies as gay as well, and he is. I don't know if he's that popular anymore, but he was pretty popular. He made outrageous statements like Jesus being racist or repenting of racism, and he has also denied. I would say he has denied the godhood of Christ and also the atonement as if you've known progressives they love to deny the atonement as we did another reaction video to another progressive lady in canada so with brandon he is i mean he's younger he's around our age i'm pretty sure he's around 25 26 it could be wrong but he's you know he's pretty young for to for a pastor and i felt that this would be excellent material because we see more and more progressive theologians out there. And what better way to test ourselves and also to give good commentary how to refute people that deny the complete and full revelation of the gospel of Christ. Yeah, and I'll say, I, I first saw this guy in TikTok compilations. I think he made the rounds on like Daily Wire and other conservative news outlets of going, oh, how ridiculous that somebody would be calling Jesus racist. That's blasphemous. Um, but he's pretty cut cookie cutter. I don't think he's particularly unique on his weird deconstructionism stuff. It's basically any like leftist ideology, just slam it into the to the Bible and still call yourself Christian. So is God not real? Yes, but I'm still a Christian. Is God genderqueer? Yes, but I'm still a Christian. Is God pro-homosexuality? Yes, but I'm still a Christian. Was God racist? Yes, but I'm still a Christian. I mean, all the like anything that's popular on, on MSNBC um, and slam it into the Bible. So it's not particularly unique, but what I do appreciate about Brandon and Brandon, if you're watching, I, you know, keep on this, is that he is not somebody that is subtle, which is good. I don't consider subtlety unless it's in gentleness to be um, good at all. I think often deconstructionist style Christians are extremely subtle, to put it a good way. I think they're they're obscuring themselves actually deviously when they deviously use language of scripture when they don't really believe it so they say yeah jesus like resurrected if you by resurrection you mean didn't really resurrect and is like living on in our hearts as a memory like simba or mufasa um but they don't say that <laughs> that second part right they just say yeah jesus resurrected when they're talking with conservative christians and then they um, slowly sneak in and deconstruct and, and draw people away this guy on the other hand brandon um either hasn't lived long enough to discover the reason for that tact or just as brave like all young men are 
um, and is speaking the the quiet part out loud and just saying what what progressive Christians have believed for some time now. So I appreciate that about him. I hope he's that way in our video we're going to react to today. Any last thoughts, Theodore, before we let Brandon talk? Well, I was just wondering if he was a reverend like Dr. Dre. But other than that, no. <laughs> uh probably more than dr dre he probably went to a bigger theological seminary i mean we you haven't heard my opinions on seminaries you can watch the rest of our episodes but i think typically seminaries are bad there's only a couple good ones out there well let him speak here we go brandon let's talk about how christians can sometimes idolize jesus to our detriment what do i mean what does he mean so um let's um start with the the obvious here i think before we even let him really start Jesus is God, and to idolize something is to make something a God. Um, and you're not supposed to idolize things of the earth, but only make God your God. So if we believe that Jesus is God, he cannot be idolized in an evil way because he is God. So you're properly worshiping him. The only things that can be idolized are things that are not God. So at the very output, this is why it's a provocative, provocative statement from him, because you shouldn't be able to idolize God. He's dying on the airport. Well, I think Christians often have an image of Jesus that is so unrelatable, that is so divine, meaning that it's only focused on the divinity of Christ, the divine nature of Jesus, that Jesus becomes nothing more than an object of worship rather than a rabbi who can teach us and whom we should follow and emulate. You know, to some extent, actually, to his credit, I, I want to start with some of his good premises here. Um, I would agree that some Christians idolize a quote-unquote Jesus. Um, I've got a feeling, Brandon, I mean, I already, from his previous statements, I know that he does in this case, but they idolize a version of Jesus that they like, right? And it becomes an idol because it's not actually who God is, not actually who Jesus is. It's some made-up version they've made. So whether that's like my boyfriend Jesus, who who is super sweet and never says anything um, that would make me angry or challenge me, or maybe the homosexual Jesus or whatever, um, they they make a idolized quote unquote Jesus who's not really Jesus. The Mormons do this with their fake version of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses the same thing. So these these people do idolize a person named Jesus, but they're not or a God named Jesus, but they aren't the true Jesus. You can't idolize the true Jesus. So what he's saying here is that yes, he's saying that some people make him too divine. Okay, and there's some probably I don't know Sebastian Theater if you've ever seen this, but people who like overly feminize and pietize Jesus so that he's not really a man at all right he's like some like fairy boy who um is always serene and kind of like um on that the bible show from history channel where jesus is like fabio with the big blonde locks and he's never phased and has always got a gentle smile on his face and you know not that i've seen jesus in my own eyes either but don't think that's what he was like when he was throwing people out of the temple or calling the jews uh, sons of satan or whatever else I would actually go to the other end of being, you know, um, squishy in Jesus or like BF Jesus. In at least the experience that I had growing up as a Roman Catholic, it was that God is too powerful, important, and busy for you. Therefore, don't bother him. Go to gentle, sweet Mary instead, because Jesus can be mean. There, you need someone nicer than him to intercede for you. So similarly, some we all know women. Can... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. You're going to make a misogynistic statement. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know women can multitask, and Jesus had problems with that. So go to Mary for that. Got to. Yep. Yes. 
So <laughs> we're both, we're all in agreement then to some extent that yes, people do idolize versions of Jesus that aren't truly Jesus. And there, there's problems with, with making him too lofty because he is high and lofty and lifted up and raised by the father and all that, but we can boldly approach his throne. So that's the, that's the Christian truth that we should be able to approach Jesus. He's not unapproachable. We don't have to approach Mary first. Can't even, but um, you can try. You can go straight to Jesus. You can go straight to God through Jesus. He is our high priest. All the standard works you've heard in this podcast before. Um, so we're in agreement so far. I heard this all the time growing up in evangelical churches. I was told that Jesus, the life he lived, his teachings were not actually meant to be followed. I don't... <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about on that front. I don't know what church he's going yeah, to. Yeah, where says you shouldn't. Some fundamentalist Baptist church? I guess you could say that Jesus... Um, was single and that most of us aren't called to singleness or that Jesus was uh, some people. I mean, maybe he went to some like softy church that says that Jesus called people out, but we shouldn't call people out because we're not God. That's often an excuse I hear when, when somebody speaks hard truth and they say, you can't say that. And then the person who spoke hard truth responses, well, Jesus said that kind of thing. And then their, their opponent says, well, you're not God. So you can't say the things that God said. Uh, maybe that's the kind of experience Brandon had. I don't, I don't know his background church, except that he says it was a conservative Baptist church. Well, and if we're calling ourselves of... Christians, okay. then I, uh, the same, well, I guess, yeah, Christian means little Christ, according to whoever always says that. Uh-huh. What were you going to say? So Sebastian? emulating Christ. I was going to say, I was curious, not a problem, was, it was curious if it's an, it was an antinomian type of thing that you know, you have to follow Jesus. So I'd be curious to see. Oh, right. Like you don't actually that... have to follow Jesus's laws. You just have to say the prayer. Maybe. I mean, that's kind of IFB as well. And people They're leave to those places too. Yeah. yeah. Show us how high God's standard of perfection is and reveal to us how we are inadequate to actually live up to that standard. And that's why we need grace. Okay. So it kind of sounded like what you were saying, Sebastian. I mean, we agree that um, you can't, that you won't, just as First John says, you won't not sin in your life. And so Christians that say they don't have sin make God out to be a liar. Um, just like the promised land of, of old, God has founded us in truth and does rid us of sin, just like he gave the Israelites a foothold in Canaan and said the whole land is subdued before them. But he also left um, nations there purposefully so that they, they would train their sons up in war and slowly take over the promised lands. They would be tested in faith and uh, and always have a test there to be sharpening them in believing in God. So similarly, Christians have sin remaining in their lives that God does not take over immediately um, so that we can keep relying on him, growing in and be sanctified in that way. Um, so to say that we will not be perfect like Jesus is true, but we're called to be, so we should be emulating Jesus. I mean, I would bet that Brandon's old church would not have said that you shouldn't emulate Jesus, even if they say that a perfect abiding, a law-abiding citizen is not attainable. And so it was kind of a free pass to say, I can never actually follow Jesus. I can never actually live like Jesus lived and follow the example that Jesus um, embodied. And so it's all grace. I'm just going to do my best each day. Okay, so some free grace stuff. I think you're hitting the nail on the head there, Sebastian, that he probably went to a church that was more antinomian, anti-the law. My theological radars are kicking in. Uh Uh-huh. Plus, he did do research on this guy. I've just seen his TikToks. That's not what Jesus asked. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's true. I mean, amen, huh? He's, he's really knocking the antinomians here. Maybe he's really into Leviticus. 
he implores his disciples to follow his example, to embody his teachings, to actually do what he did. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a list of suggestions. It's a list of commands for creating a more just and equal world. And Jesus... Ooh. Uh, just and equal? It's just. I think equal depends on what you mean by equal. But yeah, it's a recitation of um, Levitical law. So it's a God law. So yeah, I agree we, that it is a list of commands. It's a recitation of the previously given God's law, which I assume Brendan does not like. Um, it's not a changing of it. It's not a modifying of it. It's just a clarification on it. And so I heartily agree, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And I heartily agree that it is for making a more just world. Um, equal could just be a synonym for just, or it could mean that we're all equal to each other, which we're not. God has made us all different. So we are not equal to each other, and that's wrong. If we were equalizing each other, we would be either killing those who are different than us or um, hurting each other, um, those who are better than us, so we could drag them down to our level. That's just fundamentally why I disagree with equity, but we can keep going. Expected his disciples to do them. We see this in the early church. The reason the early church was both so effective and so despised by the Roman Empire is because they started embodying the teachings of Jesus. And when you embody Jesus's teachings, which were meant to help create a new kingdom in the midst of the Roman Empire that would eventually overturn the Roman Empire through just communities being formed, that's a dangerous thing for an... I'll say, don't think the Romans cared that there was a like commie cult. I think they could care less. Great, you got a commie cult. They really did not like the claim that Jesus was, one, the only God, and that he was also had authority over the king. So um, if you claim that Jesus is not God, or you say that he does not have authority over the kings of the earth, I think that's where you lose the edge that early Christianity had, or biblical Christianity in general. The Romans did not care. They had many cults that had strange practices. I do not think they minded Christians being communist, if that's what you're claiming they all were, which I would refuse well, but they did not mind Christian community. They minded the claims that Christ had over the emperorship and over the godhood. An empire. The early Christian followers of Jesus, they literally embodied nonviolent resistance. They literally embodied creating new communities where they gave to everybody who had need. They disconnected from the welfare system of the Roman Empire and became communities of subversive grassroots justice. And that threat. I just want to clarify the points because a lot of these are used in political discourse and whatever. Um, they're kind of tainted, but they, they didn't make a grassroots justice. In fact, uh, the, the big verses used in the modern day about obeying government are about not having grassroots justice. And instead that the state is the one issued with the sword for punishments. So punishments for law should be administered by the state. And otherwise you shouldn't go to your judges. You should, you should not sue fellow Christians and work things out among yourselves. I guess that's a way of justice, but the whole, the equal money thing is not justice. That's not justice. That's grace, right? Justice is getting what you deserve um, on the law. Uh, grace is giving something you're not deserving. Nobody deserves food or water, but God gives it to us graciously. So when fellow Christians sell their land or sell things to give to other poor Christians, it's not justice, it's graciousness. But um, that's beside the point. Also, we're diverging now because he might think that they do deserve food and clothing and all of that. Well, of course they don't. Nobody does. Nobody deserves anything because we're all sinners. But yes, I think you were right. Uh, he probably says that we're not sinners. The empire when that starts to spread, and that's why the early church was persecuted. It wasn't because the Roman Empire didn't like people believing in Jesus. 
it was exactly actually that they, they didn't mind you believe in jesus and caesar but they they wanted you the, the whole pinch of incense the whole kaiser curious thing was just to come up and say that caesar was lord over jesus right jesus was a god sure whatever christians but come and say that caesar's lord that's that's the thing we need you to do for the cohesion of the state and that's what early christians refused to do and they were killed for that right that's the reason they were being persecuted there were people all over the empire who believed in different gods and goddesses they didn't care the problem was that the early Christians actually were doing what Jesus did. Yeah, Jesus claimed to be God and said, you know, like, serve God only. He's the only God, right? So in that sense, yes. But I think specifically, it was the claim of exclusivity that Christianity had. That is what the Romans didn't like. They were actually... Yes, yes. For, for, the, rec for the record, I do want to say that the Romans were really weirded out by the Christians. So, you know. Just to be fair, they, they, they were weirded out because they're like, why aren't you going to the Olympic Games? It's true. Oh, because the all the athletes are naked and there's a lot of uh, sexy times that happen during and after the Olympic Games. And mm -hmm. obviously it would be immoral for moral Christians to, uh, for immoral for married Christians, sorry, to uh, to see those naked, athlete, uh, naked athletes or go to wild parties at the temples. Yep. immoral as well. So the Romans were weirded out by the Christians, but the biggest, biggest, biggest thing that they had against them was that how dare you not recognize the other gods that are so nice? Just look at all the wild parties we do and we have these gods. Why can't you just worship them on top of Jesus? Or who claims to be a divine of divine origin. Some did, some didn't, but right. that was the most most egregious thing that the Christians could do in their own empire, not the fact that they're feeding the hungry. I mean, the emperor's like, great, less starving people, more more people that I can I can use. So yep. they could care less about that. I mean, there are some traits, like you're saying, Sebastian, that not only weirded out the Romans, but they actually hated, especially when Christianity had a big foothold, um, like mercy, the emphasis on mercy um, was something that was despised in their own empire because they considered mercy to be a sign of weakness and that it was actually more venerable for a man to punish his enemies than to have mercy on them. Um, so to that extent, I think Brandon's getting at some truth here, but I think he's ignoring either purposely or, or subconsciously, psychologically, psychologically um, the fact that it was the exclusivity of Christianity that made the Romans the most mad. And I would assume that he is not a very exclusive Christian himself healing people they were actually giving people money for food and health care they were actually again what weird tyrant would be against this even like Gaddafi or putin doesn't care if people are out there like giving to the poor unless he thinks that those people are going to like leverage it to oust him out of power that's the only reason anybody would care creating communities of justice and that's the threat of the early christian movement to corrupt systems and powers unfortunately for the past 1500 years of Christianity or so, Christianity and empire have come together and we've had to develop a theology that only sees Jesus as an idol to be worshiped rather than a rabbi to learn from and to follow. But the Jesus of the gospels is a human being who did all of what he did in human strength and he invites. It, I wonder what the proper response is there because yes, he is truly human truly divine but i would say he did what he did through god's strength he always relied on god when not praying to god it wasn't through human strength his flesh was weak he embodied the flesh now was it sinful flesh no because he was born 
um, purely, but his flesh was weak, just as Adam and Eve before the fall were weak and susceptible to sin, but his God nature was what prevented him from sinning and, and obviously gave him all the wisdom he had. Us to do the same. He always had the Holy Spirit. Yes. He always had the Holy Spirit with him, so that's why he was in constant communion with the Father, and that's why he also said, you know, I and the Father are one, but let's keep going. Mm -hmm. And frankly, Christians today don't do, don't, don't do everything they do through human strengths. It's kind of an odd phrase to say. Follow his path. You can live out the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a struggle. It takes practice. Okay. I, I think um, it's, it's almost like Jewish and saying that you can complete the law. Because, yeah, I mean, I agree. You should, you should um, aim to go for the law. You shouldn't give up and say, oh, whatever. You rely on grace um, as Paul would say, or other scriptures would say, but if you fail to keep the Sermon on the Mount, you have broken the law. So you haven't kept the Sermon on the Mount if you've ever broken it. So to say that you can keep it is to say that there are people that haven't broken it, or there are people that have gone through their lives and haven't broken it. I mean, that's just not the case. We have to conform our lives to the way of Jesus. We have to continually come back to the text and ask, how can I be more like this in my day-to-day -day life? How can I love my neighbor more? But Jesus fully expected his disciples to do what he did, to obey what he said. And I think so much of modern Christianity is about believing theology and worshiping an idol of Jesus than seeing Jesus as a human teacher whom we can emulate and follow. It's not just a human teacher. I was a giving me weird vibes, not surprisingly, because we know his background, but at surface here, and I think what's insidious about these kind of teachers is that in, in, on the surface, he's saying things that even us hyper-conservative Christians, you know, that Brandon would probably flee from are in agreement with him here. And I don't think that's coincidental. I think he's trying to use language that is convincing to regular old Christians, ones that do not hold to many of his other much more insane um, premises that he's really trying to get at here because he's really trying to say i think that jesus is not divine right that he's a human but we all agree that he's human even those who do believe that he is god incarnate the son of god so that's where it's insidious right we can both agree that he's human that he was a rabbi because he was a teacher and he says as much right he says that you have only one teacher the messiah and he's the messiah of course but he's not just a teacher which is where we differ and this goes to all different levels of Christian theology. Last year, I had a viral TikTok video where I looked hey. at Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus has this encounter with a woman of a different religious background and ethnicity, and he uses what we would understand to be a racial slur. And I suggest that this woman, she pushes back on Jesus. She's asking him to heal her daughter. And he says, no, we don't give what is meant for my people to the dogs. And the woman says, but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table. And Jesus changes his tone. He changes his perspective. Yeah, I mean, this is a non-divine Jesus we're getting at because he doesn't actually change his perspective. He always had a godly perspective. He does change his tone. I mean, to some extent, I agree with his TikTok as far as Jesus did not coddle this lady who came from a lower background of, of evil non-believers, um, the Samaritans. Uh, Tyre Sidon actually is, is in this case, the so Canaanites. Um, but she had faith in him and displayed it, and therefore he honored this display and granted her her wish. Are we just casually ignoring all the verses that say Jesus knew what people are going to say ahead of time before? Right. So it's, it's, he didn't shift perspective, of course. He, he said something to provoke this, this 
response out of her to prove out her faith. And, and so she did. She um, was humble and she didn't snap back. She didn't clap back at him like AOC or somebody else. It was not the attitude she had. She, she took his saying and accepted it and accepted that she was a dog compared to the Israelites. Now, I don't think it was a racial epithet. I think it was a, uh, a lesser people epithet as far as like, um, it didn't have to do with race or ethnicity. It had to do with your belief, right? So the children of Israel were believers in, in theory, of course, did most of them fall away. Yes. But they were believers in theory and that the dogs were the, the ones to get the seconds, a little like the little puppies. It's not a derogatory term in, in, greek that's used it's i mean it's not like it's not an honoring term but it's not derogatory it's not an insult there's other words you can use for hound um that were not used there so i do not believe it's an insult from jesus it's just a description of her her lesser status if that makes any sense i know it's a strange distinction but um, it's not the insulting word for dog um that you could i was just going to specify it's not like a hairless chihuahua or something like that it's like a cuddly (laughs) bulldog yep now, it is still a lesser than, than the children. I mean, Jesus makes a distinction, so let's not pretend like, like Jesus was elevating her to the same level as children. That was the whole point. But it wasn't a racial epithet. It was like just a distinction between the, the chosen people and the non-chosen. Instead of resisting healing this woman's daughter, when she pushes back, he says, you're right. And then he goes and heals her. And my interpretation of that story, which is not my interpretation, it's been an interpretation that Christians have had throughout the ages, is that Jesus was challenged to confront his own <laughs> racial, ethnic, uh, religious biases. I, I, I don't know, throughout the ages that people were considering that he was racist and had to change his mind. I think throughout the ages, Christians have told that God never changes, as the scripture says. Yes, likewise, throughout the ages, there have been Adamites. Does that mean that the Adamites are correct? I don't think so, but Christian nudists, but for the record, for those who don't know what Adamites are. Yes, they've been throughout the ages. They're, they're crazy. I'm like, who, who, origin? I don't think so. Like or origin to for all the weird things that he believed. He from my recollection, yeah, he pretty much believed that Jesus was a god. So like who 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 in their right mind would say that Jesus was racist throughout church history? I would be curious to see well, and who it's this not person even, was. Um, it's not even a bias that was looked down on for for much of human history here. For much of human history, people were fine. It was a normal human inclination to be racist. And so, I mean, you probably agree with that, Brandon. So I don't know who you're talking about. Through the ages, believe that Jesus was racist. Um, and certainly through the ages, they have not held to Jesus being a flawed man because that's the whole point of Christianity is that he's not a flawed. He is a perfect man, the God man. And understand that God and God's healing is not just for a group of people or one religion, but for all. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, this is where we get into the thick of things, right? It's not just for one religion. We have a good pause here. Um, that's the kind of face I want to see when we uh, <laughs> meet in person. Uh, he, he says it's not just for one religion because the Canaanite woman ends up being faithful. And she comes from a different religious background. Okay. And if we mean religion in some weird esoteric term, like the specific way that you um, interpret scriptures could be called a religion, like you could call the Presbyterians a different religion than the Baptist. Um, okay. And that's how the, like, the founding fathers, when they say that, that uh, the state shall make no law infringing on religion or establishing a religion, um, the old use of the term was, was sects of Christianity because the assumed faith was Christianity. However, if we use it in the colloquial use of the word, religions being like Islam, universalism, Christianity, Judaism, whatever, um, 
yeah, Jesus was having everybody conform to his religion, the religion, the one true religion, that he is God, the triune God, and that the only way to salvation is through him, and the scripture is his word, and all of that, right? That religion was what the woman conformed to when she had faith in Christ, saying that she wanted his bread, right? She wanted to eat and drink of him. That would be the religion she was going to, not some um, universalistic sense of, like, I believe in God, but maybe not you, Jesus, or there's other ways to salvation. Certainly not that all people. And so Jesus, when this woman pushes back on him, changes his perspective, heals her daughter, and... She really doesn't push back either. Again, it's not a clapback. She she actually submits to him um, in that case. From this point forward, we see a movement through the rest of the gospel of Jesus expanding his ministry to not just be for a particular ethnic group or religious group, but to more and more and more people. And then we see that obviously in the New Testament church, moving beyond um, just a Jewish movement to a global movement of all people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, races, religious backgrounds. Again, religious backgrounds, yeah, but that was always the case. God's people, even the Jews, sometimes often came from different religious backgrounds, right? Ruth is a, is a Moabite. She had a different religious background, but she ends up being a faithful Jew. So you're being conformed to the true religion. Um, just like we all come from different ethnicities, yes, but we're actually conformed to the new Israel. So I would say that technically, yes, so by world standards, and I would use these terms for myself, I'm like a white American, but by, by I think, spiritual standards, I'm no longer a white American. I'm actually a part of the new Israel. I've been grafted into the new Israel. So I would say ethnically, spiritually, ethnically, we've been grafted into one ethnicity, one religion, um, which is why the chosen race of Israel is a good allegory and why God made it to be the, the primer, the shadow for the kingdom that was coming, because we're actually all grafted in to that one nation Israel now. So it really is not a tolerance of many different religions or many different ethnicities. We're all being grafted into one ethnicity and one religion. And it's a it is a beautiful diversity in that many people who came came from different ethnicities and came from different religious backgrounds are now conforming to the one ethnicity, the one religious background that is uh, truth in Christ. Shema Israel. Yeah. Now, people freaked out when I said that because it implies that Jesus was wrong, that Jesus made a mistake, that Jesus had to learn and be confronted by somebody and Jesus grew. It says it, doesn't imply it, but yeah. But I think that's precisely what the text says. Okay. The text doesn't say Jesus was testing her faith. This is, there's no indication that this was some sort of divine test that Jesus actually all along was going to heal her daughter. Equally, there's no divine, there's no sense that he was, even the, um, the centurion, the case of the centurion who has faith and Jesus is amazed and tells us around him never, you know, and all these are having seen faith such as this. And the centurion says, go, you know, just say the words and my servant will be healed. Um, at least there you could argue that Jesus like was amazed. I would again have the same argument that I have this woman that, that he actually knows that the centurion's faith and it's all the reason that he, uh, that he heals them. And this is for the sake of the gospel that he's amazed and is showing people like, this is what real faith looks like. But here you don't even have that indication. So equally, there's not an indication that he's testing your faith. Correct. We're making the presumption, but it's in line with what he's done before and his character and the rest of the gospels. What you're suggesting about Jesus is antithetical to the rest of the gospels and the epistles and, and all the rest about Jesus. So um, yes, there's no assertion that this is Jesus testing her faith, but there's equally no assertion that he's actually racist and is changing his mind in this moment. So um, you have to marry it with the rest of scripture if you want good um, ethos for your argument here, which you don't have. 
And when you said uh, Jesus was amazed at the centurion's face, faith, <laughs> not, not amazed at his face, um, <laughs> I was just thinking there are so many personifications of God himself, and obviously we have to come up with some personification of God, because otherwise how can we describe him? So how much more would we personify Jesus, who is fully human, fully God? Right. No, Jesus only heals her daughter after he's confronted by this woman. She holds a mirror up to him and he has to see. She does not do that. She doesn't say, you racist pig, how dare you say that to me? That would be holding a mirror up to him if you think he's being racist. She actually, again, submits to his description of her and says, uh, but even the dogs get the crumbs in the children's table, like, please, please, Lord, please. And then he gives, it wasn't a mirror of his racism, you insane person. So she does not clap back, and it's not, he doesn't get confronted with racism either. Like, he just sees her faith and says, so you, so I will give um, eternal life to you as well in the healing you're asking for. She agrees with this statement. Yeah, exactly. Limiting God's justice in the world, and Jesus changes and Jesus learns. Jesus repents. Nope. He, his <laughs> statement does change, right? Because he first says, uh, I did not come for anyone but the house of Israel, and I don't give bread to, or it's not right to give children's bread to the dogs. But he doesn't actually change his mind. If you notice, he doesn't even change his mind. And there are times when God does say he's going to do one thing and then does another. Um, conditionally i think always but in this case he doesn't even say that so i don't think you can really make the argument here that he actually changes his mind i think i know that he this was always the plan right sovereign god this is always the plan to do this but in this case he doesn't even claim to he's going to do something and then he does something different he just confronts her with the problem that she has that she's coming up to him and she's a dog and he's a jew and he's only there for the jews which he was now and could yes. i uh, not to be presumptuous, but he said that Jesus actually repents. But if we obviously take the logical line of that, then if Jesus repents, that means he had sin. Well, I guess maybe it is. Do you think he's saying that? Absolutely. Yes. He's saying he sinned. Oh, okay. That's why he well, needs then, to repent. Right. But then all of like Hebrews and whatever, Jesus being the one sacrifice for all, how he can't be the perfect offering for, for us. He's just another thief on a cross. You're getting ahead of the game, Theodore. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're getting ahead of the game. <laughs> Hebrews, like, yeah, I'll throw that out the window. Like, why won't that? That's what he would do. Well, and, and, it, and obviously, like you're saying, Theodore, and that's the problem with this kind of thing. Like, you, you, some heresies you might allow to be played around with so that people can say, can see its flaw. Like, um, I don't know, certain kinds of eschatology or even certain anti-Trinitarian aspects where you're like, okay, play around with it, but it's not right. It's not in line with the Bible. But this one entirely destroys the core of the gospel, which is that Jesus is a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice that died and was able to take our place, us sinful people's place, because he didn't have sin. Uh, but if he has sin, he can't pay for our, not only is like, does it make God out to be a sinner, but even if you put aside that, we don't have a perfect sacrifice anymore. There's no salvation in Christianity anymore. So saying that he sins is actually destroying Christianity, which is why Christians don't like you insinuating that he sinned because it destroys all of Christians' hope. The only backup we have is Mary, who was also <laughs> sinless. 
Just kidding. Thank the Just. Lord that she was also born sinless. It's kind of weird that the other, this, the co-redemptrix, has like two lines about her in the Bible. This means that if you embrace this interpretation of the story, that you throw out this idea that Jesus is a divine figure who is perfect and holy and so separate from us. But I think this is what the text is actually conveying. And in fact, this is how the early church understood Jesus. Hold your horses. They understood who? to be racist, who? who repented. That's how the early church understood it. MC reference, please, right? Like, who? Yeah, no one. Weird. They understood him to be an example to follow and their Lord and that they were worshiping him. As current modern-day Christians do today, again, I think you're misinterpreting whatever your weird church was. Maybe you did have a weird church that was totally antinomian and said you couldn't actually follow Jesus' way, so therefore don't even try. I doubt that's really what your church said, but maybe it did. Okay, granting all that, um, not what the early church said, and the early church certainly didn't believe that he was a racist, that Jesus was a racist that repented and needed to change. The earliest Christians, and for the first few hundred years after them, again, reference please, understood Jesus as a human who grew into his messianic calling, who grew into his... I, I guess he could be referring to like the Nestorian controversies or something like that, but certainly not regular Orthodox Christianity in any respect wisdom who grew into his divine um, identity and the proof of this you can see this for instance by looking at the infancy gospels Go oh <laughs> okay here's oh, no. a source i guess oh no that's okay. terrible so he sources if you're not familiar with the infancy gospels he sources um, gnostic heretics so there are certain gospels published oh hundreds of years after the original gospels um, some of them a little closer, but again, very long after the original times that the Gospels are written, and they are not consistent with the rest of the Gospels. Um, but so, so Brandon here is saying that these Gospels, quote unquote, um, show the early beliefs of the Church. Um, on the contrary, they're rejected by the early Church, and that's why they're not in the canon of Scripture because they they say heretical things, things that are not consistent with with Christianity. That's why they're rejected. So it actually is indicative of heresy and that the, what the church was rejecting when those gospels talk about the the growing of jesus or changing of jesus we have an episode on gnosticism so watch that i forget the number but it is titled it has the word gnosticism in it great background the i would say the greatest enemy of the early church was gnosticism and they pretended to be christians but if you watch our episode and if you read the original sources too I think we, I think I list them where I get where I get all the Gnostic writings. They are exclusively designed to counter the Christian claims. Like Jesus was just a hologram. He teleports out of Mary, so there's no human birth. It's just an apparition. Or the fact that the God of the Old Testament is absolutely evil and disgusting and dumb. Hence, why Jesus and the God of the New Testament is very different. Again, Jesus says with his own mouth, I haven't come to abolish the law, but fulfill it, showing that he is a continuity from the Old to the New Testament. Again, I'm pretty sure Brandon would probably say that the Old Testament is ugly, nasty, and God there is very mean, and Jesus is a very, gen again, very not, I would say it's a very Gnostic approach to the Bible. So, oh, goodness gracious, the early church was saying that the early church believed that. Terrible. Terrible. Go on Google and type in infancy gospels and what you'll 
Yep. Let's see. Don't do that. Are these? <laughs> you can do it, but they're not true, right? They're all heresies. We're marked as heresy from the start. Text a few hundred years after uh, Jesus's life. Yep. That show what the early church was thinking about the infant Jesus. No, they show what heretics were thinking. Again, that's why they were rejected, right? You can have some, like, the guy, the little boy who says he was in heaven for seven minutes, and the whole church is like, nah. Um, and w that doesn't suddenly, like, tell you what, what the current, you know, 1990s church was thinking. That's the heretic. You notice that in the canonical Gospels, we don't have any um, information about who Jesus was as a young kid. Sure we do. We have the one instance of him going to the temple and teaching in the temple and staying behind in Passover as far as having to go get him. So the early church created these stories about who they thought Jesus was. And in some of these stories, you have Jesus being really a little rascal, uh, quite mischievous, quite, some might even say, immoral. Again, so he's almost, I think he's claiming here that the early church made these stories up, i.e. they're not real. So, so... It gets it gets to hit it gets to this point of deconstructionism Christianity I think and that is that it doesn't really matter who Jesus actually was it matters who we make him into because he's not actually God he's not actually um, as good as he we think he was so it matters like the narrative around him if you ever listen to Jordan Peterson famous psychologist out there that's his big push too is that it doesn't really matter who Jesus actually was it matters what like his archetype was not like the, the collective human consciousness psyche what they have designed jesus to be the perfect man and so um then random made up completely made up stories about his childhood are relevant because it's like the collective psyche of making this perfect um human even if he's not literally perfect he's you know the perfect example for us to follow um in any case brandon you're saying that they're false made up stories about his childhood you're admitting that yourself so it's irrelevant to the conversation of whether jesus the actual man the God-man was sinful. One story that I particularly like has the baby Jesus taking his best friend up on a roof, pushing him off and killing him, and then resurrecting him from the dead. Brandon loves that story. Reminds me of his childhood. And so it's a funny story. It's obviously not a historical story, but it shows how... Obviously not a historical story. I mean, I just repeat myself. The early Christians thought of Jesus, that as a kid, he wasn't perfect. He had to grow into his identity, his calling as the Messiah. It doesn't show that because it doesn't talk about the real Jesus, you madman. And so he made mistakes. The New Testament does tell us he grew in wisdom, knowledge, and stature. We see him in the temple courts debating. We agree that, the, that Jesus had bodily limits. He took on the flesh, humbled himself, took on the flesh. And so he did grow in wisdom, knowledge, and stature as he grew up. But that doesn't mean that he was ever wrong or that he was or ever that he sinful. Right, exactly. Learning from other rabbis. So Jesus had to grow and learn because Jesus was a human like you and me. And that means that sometimes Jesus made mistakes. He messed up. And other... That does not mean that, okay? Humans inherently, when they're, when they're born without sin, don't make mistakes because they trust in God, as Jesus did. Now, sinful man does, but Jesus was not a sinful man by his very nature. He was not a sinful human by nature. He was a just human by nature. He didn't have to share in our sinful humanity. So yes, regular humans do make mistakes, every single one, but Jesus did not. People challenged Jesus, and when other people challenged him, he changed his perspective. He grew. He became more nuanced. He became more expansive and inclusive in his vision for what God was up to. Did he become more nuanced? Describe to me when Jesus became more nuanced after learning about something. 
they become more nuanced when the woman confronted him, quote unquote, and said that even dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. Was that a nuance to Jesus? Because previously he said that only Jews got the bread. And now he's like, okay, well, maybe you particularly, if you're particularly faithful, like if you want, that's the nuance he's adding. And no, because he had already healed non-Jews. You mad boy. So it's, no nuance was added. No shading was added. No flavor was added. It's just another instance of him being faithful and kind and loving. Boo. In the world. And I think that's actually a beautiful and more relatable understanding of Jesus than this holy divine image that makes Jesus something so separate from us, 100% perfect all the time, when that's not what the Gospels actually can. You have no savior if he wasn't perfect. So yes, he is relatable even in his holiness, right? Because he came in the form of a man. So in that way, he's made the invisible God visible and now we can see him and relate to him. Otherwise, yeah, God is separate and holy and Jesus is lifted on high and holy and we're all bow before him, even his enemies when he comes back again. But he's not sinful. He doesn't need to relate to us in that respect. You want him to because you don't believe in God and you hate God and you're trying to blaspheme him here. But don't turn back from your sin, Brandon. You have no savior if you have a sinning Jesus. Convey. And that Jesus is unrelatable to the average Christian. Would you rather have an unrelatable savior or a savior that cannot save you? I think the answer is obvious. I follow a Jesus who teaches me by his own mistakes. An idol. Christians should stop idolizing Jesus. If by Christian you mean yourself or other Christians, so-called, that make up Jesus to be whoever they want. Literally adding stories from Christians, early Christians, quote-unquote, that made up stories about young Jesus. You're adding that to your own pantheon, weird editions of your fake Jesus, knowing that they're fake. You are literally constructing an idol knowingly that it's not the real Jesus and worshiping it. Okay? Ironic. Have fun. I think the story of Matthew 15 of Jesus being confronted by somebody on his own inherited biases. He wasn't. And his willingness to change them is a great message for Christians in our day. Jesus was willing to be confronted with what we would understand as racial bias or ethnic bias or religious bias. And when confronted with it, he grappled with it and he transformed, he changed, he repented. He stopped embracing those inherited ideas and identities. Maybe Christians, should allow others to confront us about our own biases, our own inherited beliefs, our own inherited prejudices. And when we are confronted, may we respond like Jesus and change and transform. See, I love the rabbi Jesus who's willing to engage with others and be challenged by others and is willing to teach us through his own example. Jesus repented, Jesus changed, Jesus grew. That's a Jesus I can follow. Now I can already understand, and I've already seen all the comments that are already gonna be below this video. Um, people are like, well, this means Jesus was sinful. How can he be our sinless sacrifice? Well, yeah, I don't believe in that atonement theology anyway. Oh yeah, uh-huh, that's not surprising. <laughs> I mean, we, by the way, we've done episodes on the different atonement theologies. I Necessarily, he doesn't believe in uh, real, proper um, atonement theology. He must believe that Jesus came and like, showed us his love by dying. I don't know. None of the other atonement theories, by the way, um, the ones that don't point to the same, you know, some of them have like weird nuances. Speaking of nuance of how exactly Christ died, was it a 
substitute for us or was it penal substitutionary atonement? Okay, I mean, I'm a hardcore holder to penal substitutionary atonement, the biblical atonement theory. And the other ones, of course, are completely baseless from the Bible. Um, but I'm willing to get some nuance of like just the substitutionary atonement, whatever. Okay, if you want to have some weird nuance there. Um, even the the ransom theory, which I think is totally wrong. At least it's not blasphemous. It's just wrong. It's not the way Jesus saves us. Um, but the like, he loves us and he died to show us that we will have to die to save others. It doesn't fix the sin problem, so it's no savior at all. It's not an atonement. Yes, and I, wait before we 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 let him go on though. He did call them the Messiah, which I find a very ironic. I, I hold it is ironic because he's saying we shouldn't idolize Jesus, but he's making one in the image that he likes. From Isaiah fifty-three, we have read it over and over and over again. But this is what it describes: the suffering. Uh, Messiah, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, uh, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the Messiah. You call Jesus Messiah. This is his duty. He came, yes, to show how we should live the perfect life. And more importantly than that, so that we can live the perfect life, he came to take away our sin. So that by the work of the Holy Spirit, we might be shaped into his image. And therefore, you can create a more just, equal, if you want to say, use that word, world, through the grace of God not on your own efforts. I would say, Brandon, here's another progressive. They think they can rely on their own efforts and power and intelligence and abilities, but you can't. Just look at the last 2,000 years. Clearly mm -hmm. hasn't gone too well, has it? So it's only by the grace of God that people, societies, cultures, and ethnic groups are transformed. Yep. And as a matter of fact, I think Brandon would probably stand in line with the Pharisees and Jews of the day and put Jesus to death because he wasn't relatable enough. Because <laughs> he claimed to be God, and and obviously, if he claims to be God, then he's not equal and with everybody else. So. True. And, you know, the punishment for racism is death, because this punishment for sin is death. So, um, did deserve the death, I guess. In any case, uh, tell me theories... Um, they might seem esoteric when we did the episode. I think we said it as much that they might seem like weird esoteric things that nobody's ever going to care about and are only talked about in the classroom. Um, you can see how they make room for insane theology like Brandon's um, if you let them grow. So we really do have to fight on the atonement theory front as well, because clearly it's giving Brandon what he thinks an out to allowing Jesus to be a non-divine non-savior. Um, he thinks he can somehow still be a savior via some other atonement theory that's incomplete and nonsensical and non-biblical. Anyway, so that's not a problem for me. Not a problem for me. But what I will say is this. The way I theologically understand this is that there are two identities of Jesus, right? There is the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith. This whole like Jordan B. Peterson thing, right? There was an actual man Jesus, but the Jesus we really care about is like the idol Jesus that we're creating that we want to model. So again, not really a... a religion built on truth now it's a religion built on hope i guess false hope but hope the jesus of history was a historical figure a first century jewish teacher who went around 
proclaiming a message of liberation and hope to oppressed people, telling his people his vision for how they could create the kingdom of God, the messianic kingdom, and overturn the corrupt Roman Empire. And he taught that the way to do it was through self-giving love, through resistance, not through trying to mount an insurrection, but through forming communities of justice, subversive communities that would subversive communities that's that's what communities of justice are they're subversive they like um subvert what do they like cut supply lines they like bomb cities what's subversive about them they're different but that's not subverting anybody they're i guess they're subverting um the the religious institutions of the day right the evil ones so i guess they're subversive in that front but it's not because they're just it's because they are uh, exclusive which again is why the Romans did not like the Christian movement. But um, yeah, if you don't have a savior, Brandon, you should probably get out of that. Otherwise you will be burning in hell like all of us deserve. I know that angers you, but you cannot be saved, not by your own theories, not politically, like your, your politics will not pan out well because they're not godly. So even on this earth, your politics, the stuff you strive for will not pan out, let alone in the next life. So it's a double whammy of evil. Quickly return, repent, Brandon. I know it seems uh, base level to be a regular Christian who believes in the Trinity and believes that Jesus was God and believes in penal substitutionary atonement. It doesn't seem enlightened. It doesn't. You know, all the smart people you've seen in seminary or college classes or in political discourse that have said contrary things to regular old Christianity, but I promise you, regular Christianity is the attacked maligned true faith just as it was 2000 years ago disconnect these people from the empire and ultimately as the community grew they could overturn the empire again not through force but through justice through love through community organizing that's who the first century jesus was the jesus of history After jesus was again case nobody's familiar you haven't picked this up right now clearly doesn't believe that jesus is god that jesus is god he wasn't was anything because he is god he always was and is and is to come so any believing christian will say that jesus is as opposed to jesus was so he's assuming that jesus is dead and maybe he doesn't even believe in an afterlife i don't really know his theology past that let me let me say this speaking of is i, I even have them beautifully from my Greek Bible here. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's almost as just doing good things or following the law on your own is not enough. As he's saying these to a crowd of angry Jews, if you do not believe that I am, me, which means Yahweh in the Old Testament, unless you believe I am Yahweh, I am God himself, you will die in your sins. So... I guess Jesus is being exclusive, saying you can't be a Buddhist and be a good person, you know, and still get into heaven. I'm pretty sure he believes in heaven because he says in other sermons, he says that everyone will be redeemed in the end, even Satan and demons. So, like, God is going to bring everyone to heaven. Anyway, anyway, Jesus clearly is saying that you have to believe in him. He also comes about the, nar the, na the narrow way. Mm-hmm. And that, that should hit home for you, Brandon, or any anybody of the same philosophies as Brandon. He says, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Brandon, if you don't believe that Jesus is, you will die in your sins. You say that Jesus was, 
but Jesus is, and it's not the concept, it's the actual person. Jesus is. He is the I am. He is Yahweh. He was and is and is to come. He's not the singular, one-shot historical man that you think he was. After that Jesus died, the Christian church developed a theology and a mythology around Jesus. We see the difference you can see in the Gospel of Mark. You're right. 2,000 years later in 2020 or 2021 or 2022, whenever you made this video, a certain Christian man made a mythology about Jesus. He said that Jesus was not God and that uh, stories made up about him afterwards contribute to his mythos. Um, that is mythology, I agree. You have a very human Jesus, a very typical first century Jewish teacher. The Gospel of John written much later. You have now a Jesus who is divine, a Jesus who's making broad... We've talked about this point, too, with atheists or whoever else that are saying that the gospel is developed and that they created different views of Jesus. They do give different views of Jesus, but they're all consistent with each other. It's not a development in facts. It's just a different view from a different apostles, as should be like, from legitimate sources. Yes, and I, I, I find it very funny that he talks about, you know, John, very high-level Jesus, very divine. He says he always likes to go to Mark. He says, you know, it's most uh, down-to-earth, that's where the most human Jesus that you can find, except if you go to Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is in the Sanhedrin after being arrested, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing up against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One in coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. It's almost as if it, the Gospel of Mark has a divine Jesus. Is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Let me, let, let's keep going. Mark chapter 2. Immediately, this is actually when Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Quick, quick, quick pause. Immediately, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Wow, it's almost as if he can read minds in the Gospel of Mark, where he's just a human Jesus, you know, really early on in the church. Wow, amazing. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Wow, so this human, this just a man, is committing blasphemy by forgiving sins, which only God can do? Wow, it's almost as if he is God himself, wouldn't you say? Yes, again, it's pretty laughable to say that he became God over time in the Gospels. That's why most um, anti-Christian scholars that want to go that perspective say that there was actually an original source, a Q source or an M source or whatever, that Mark sourced from and that Mark is a development later that added his divinity in because the original Q source or whatever it might be, that was like the real facts. You know, if only we had it. Of course, they're just pulling it out of their butt cheeks. We don't have any reason to believe there was a Q source. But again, for a different episode, we've done it before. Theological claims to divinity. Aren't, go ahead. aren't some of the epistles like before the Gospels anyway? And we get... Uh, div divinity mm -hmm. ascribed to Jesus in those. Right, exactly. So it's it's consistent images of Christ. There's not an inconsistent image within the scripture. Divinity, a Jesus who's doing things and saying things that he does in no of the other three gospels. That's the Jesus of faith. That 
I mean, it is the Jesus of faith because it's the real Jesus and we have the faith in the real Jesus. So, I mean, I'm in agreement there, but what he's saying is the Jesus of faith is actually a fake Jesus that John's making up. Um, no, we should not believe in something that's not real, right? If he is the truth, the way the life, as he says, then we need to believe in the truth to be believing in Jesus. So if it's, we know it's fake, we can't believe it. So Brandon, when you think you know that the Jesus of John is fake, then don't believe it. Be an atheist. But you know the hope that's for atheists is nothing. It's just, you know, worm food, being worm food at the end. There's no hope in atheism. And there's no hope in your fake Christianity either. You should repent and turn to real Christianity once again. That Jesus isn't wrong. That Jesus isn't untrue. But these two competing understandings of Jesus... It is untrue. It is wrong because it's not actually who Jesus was. So it is untrue. You're using a weird version of truth and... and um, you're spiritualizing what being Jesus means. They can exist in tension with one another. And in my faith, they do. Your faith is one that does not save you. Just as James says, what people can say they believe in Jesus all they want, but if they don't feed the brothers and sisters, can that faith save him? No, it can't. So in the same way, you say you have faith in Jesus, but you call Jesus a man and that doesn't pay for sins. Can that faith save you? No, it can't. I believe in a human Jesus who taught a message that I also am compelled by, who embodied a path that I'm compelled to dedicate my life to live. And I believe in this divine image of Jesus, this spiritualized image of Jesus. This is a Jesus that I've encountered in my own prayer life that has uh, led me on my conversion experience. I mean, I understand the whole like atheism thing where they like don't really believe that God is real. And so that's like this like conception of jesus that they're really praying to so they're like looking internally for their biology to tell them what's true and so they're really like fake it till you make it we have this like collective consciousness enlightenment that jesus the concept has become but you praying to the fake idea of jesus and has affected you spiritually i don't know the the walking on the plank off of reality is pretty far along at this point if you know that this Jesus is a fake concept and has and you've prayed to him. What? ...to want to follow the human Jesus. You can have a Jesus of faith, this ideal human whom we're aspiring to be, this Jesus who is a spirit, who unites us and is at work within all... Who oh, gosh. You know, I never really <laughs> dive that deep into, into this kind of theology because it's all garbage from, you know, a certain level on, but that him being spirit means that he's like a feeling amongst us as opposed to like the thing, the spirits, like angels are spirits, right? And so so God is a spirit, as it says. The fact that he's a spirit is like the the smell of teen spirit, like from Nirvana or like spirit, like we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? That's disturbing. That's like an English artifact. It's not even the word spirit in Greek. Oh gosh. I want to throw up. Who call upon his name. I believe in that Jesus. And I believe in a human rabbi named Jesus who lived in the first century. And they're one and the same, and they're distinct and different. They're not one and the same because they're distinct and different in your convoluted, made-up religion, okay? They are not one and the same because your fake version of historical Jesus doesn't believe in your weird, you know, funky, hippie, um, spiritual Jesus because he's racist, right? So they're not one and the same. Right? No. The Jesus that was alive in the first century was a Jesus who was a teacher who had to learn and grow. And I, as a follower of that Jesus, following his example. You're not following him. You're following fake 
weird spiritual Jesus, your version of Jesus. Jesus, you might call him. I don't know. We need a code name for this. Video. <laughs> okay, you're not following historical Jesus because you think he's racist. Okay, we follow the one true Jesus who is not only historical but also reigns today as God. Not your fake hippie one that you like, and certainly not some weird conception that you have of the historical Jesus of him being racist and and changing and whatever else. Now know that I can learn and grow and be transformed more and more into the image of who Jesus was. And I still hold a Jesus of faith that I call upon and that I worship and that I pray to. And that is a different reality, but it's all part of the same reality. One might say it's a mystery. I can get <laughs> My ideas conflict. One <laughs> might say it's a mystery. I, I, I would have to say... If I could ban a couple words from being said in the pulpit these days, just these days, it's not forever. They were had proper uses at the same time. Mystery, gospel, these are obfuscating words. I don't like them. Okay, gospel, yes, has a proper meaning, but it's constantly used incorrectly. And same with mystery. Like there is a proper use for mystery, but just because you, you cannot use mystery when you have conflicting ideas. Like go home, don't use that, okay? And Christians, real Christians do it often too, and I don't like it, but especially in this case where it's a cover for uh, conflicting ideas, Gross. Do you have a comment? Yeah, what? I was just like, I'm just confused and shock from confusion. What? What is he worshiping? Like, what? 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 If Jesus is not God, if he's just a squishy idea of love and the ideal human, why are you worshiping that? Like, why are you? Dedicating well, your life to that. What the heck? I can see why he's worshiping it because he's like, that's the ideal. So I'm focusing on it. I'm loving that idea. I'm like manifesting it. The praying to thing is what really gets me because what does the praying, he can't answer your prayers. So I guess right. the praying is really just worshiping. You're like focusing on the concept of Jesus. But if you're like praying for healing for like a dying relative or like praying for heart change or something like that, that you can't do by your own power, this fake not real Jesus can't actually do anything for you. Just like a dead idol made of wood can't actually do anything for you. Get off with saying that, right? Because that's how all the Christians describe things like the hypostatic union and the Trinity. They don't. No, actually, I don't describe the Trinity or the hypostatic union as a mystery. That's kind of why I want it banned in church because shouldn't just like <laughs> mystery. We have a decent explanation for both that is understandable. Um, if you go into the depths of like exact details we don't know but the actual definition of the trinity is not a mystery to us it makes sense logically it's mystery they do make sense logically it's well i hold these two things mysteriously in tension intention meaning conflicting it's actually again brandon's brandon's beliefs are not uh, rare they're found in seminaries all over the place so he's just openly saying what seminaries say all the time in secret or behind closed doors or in classrooms that aren't made public whatever um, but tension is code word in liberal theology for conflict they, they don't yes, but, uh, yeah, yeah, the Trinity is logical. What he's saying, the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith, what his interpretation, they're mutually exclusive. It's illogical. Like one is this squishy idea of the human, the other one is a racist Jew from <laughs> the first century. So <laughs> what? What what the heck is going on here? Yeah. My hope is that more Christians would stop primarily making their understanding of Jesus being about somebody to worship who is wholly unlike us, who is just somebody that we sing to and that we do acts of devotion toward. I don't really think this 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 description that you have of Christians that do this really exists. I don't think most Christians, especially in the U.S., uh, hold Jesus as somebody that they can't relate to. 
it's kind of like his whole thing. Maybe God the Father, like Sebastian was describing, that the Catholics saying that God the Father is like too hard, and then Jesus is a little too hard. So maybe you got a point there, but I doubt that's what you grew up with. Uh, I think you're saying that you don't like people making Jesus divine because he is perfect and relatable. And instead see him as an actual teacher who teaches through his example, who yeah. makes... Even the Catholics believe that he's an actual teacher that teaches through his example. So again, weird straw man. I don't know if there is a church in existence that believes that he wasn't a teacher and isn't an example. Mistakes, who learns, who grows, who shows... He does make mistakes and doesn't... Yeah, okay. That one is your own weird, unique, uh, sinning Jesus. Ask what it's like to go on a process of sanctification, of becoming more like God desires us to be. Christ was conforming to the image of Christ. Amazing. Um, don't think so. I think he already was the image of Christ because he was Christ. So that's what I mean when I want Christians to stop idolizing Jesus and start following him. Jesus was never interested in creating a religion that worshipped him as God. <laughs> Could have fooled me. It Jesus was interested <laughs> in creating a movement of people who followed his example and transformed the world made a more just and equal world for everyone. And that's the Jesus I want to follow. And that's the Jesus I want to invite you to follow. So again, what do you again, say? again, 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 unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Yep. What? It goes without saying, uh, yeah, yeah. don't follow his version of Jesus. His... It's a fake one. Doesn't save you. Yes. Yes. What do you say, Theor? Oh, just that he wants us to stop following the real Jesus and start following his uh, consideration or concoction of Jesus. There's a law yeah. from Exodus that says that if your best friend, a neighbor, your son, or your closest wife sitting by the campfire turns to you and says, let's follow a different God other than the one that brought us out of Egypt, other than Yahweh, you are to hold no mercy for them. This is not even one of those crimes that you don't charge, that you have the choice not to charge. You must charge them. The whole city is to take a special examination to see if they actually said these things, if they actually believe these things. And if they do, everyone is to stone them. And you, the person who heard them first, the person who might love them the most, are to throw the first stone. Brandon, you are that beloved wife or whoever that is calling us to follow a God other than the true God. And you would be stoned and worse then stoned, you'll be damned because you have no savior. This fake God will not and cannot save you. I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. I want to challenge you not just to write um, false teacher or heretic if you disagree with me. Give a substantive comment. Let's have a real discussion about this because and we have. this has been really helpful to my faith. I think it's helpful to others and I would love to know um, whether you agree with it or why you don't agree with it. I would suspect this is going out of Limbrand and I don't know you personally that it has not helped your faith, that you're extremely anxious and worried and troubled as come with people who don't know the true God. They do not have peace of God. They are more troubled. And I, I have personal experiences with family members of mine who have run away from Christ and they say they are more at peace, but they are certainly not. They're much younger. They swear a lot more. They're much more anxious. They're much more worried. Brandon, I think if you're honest with yourself, you are not better off because of your beliefs. You have become more anxious because of your beliefs. Do not continue in this way. Hopefully this is substantive and not just insulting. We've responded to your video in kind. And of course, you're, you're very welcome to respond to us if you want. We're both tiny, so it's not about views or whatever else. I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, against the thing you clearly are coming out of or don't like, and that is traditional Christianity. Can you hold your own against traditional Christians? I'd love to hear it.
And even if uh, Brandon is deceived into thinking he's more comfortable or true or whatever, then that's to Satan's benefit to deceive him into thinking that he's fine or comfortable or right. Um, yeah. Whatever that C.S. Lewis book was. Um, Screw tape letters? That's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, even just psychologically here, Brandon, um, when you hold to something, you justify your choices. So when you justify your leaving of the true faith, you are apt to be biased when you examine how happy you are comparatively. We'll let him finish out. So let's begin the conversation. There you go. Full episode. Any closing words, Sebastian, Theodore? For for me, yes, yes. I find, you know, this very, this, the progressive movement deconstruction, I find it a puzzling and here in the sense that they deny the atonement they deny the divinity of jesus in most cases they say that the early church didn't believe that i could just even quote from uh, people who were immediate came after immediately came after the apostles polycarp we've quoted him before uh, greatly rejoice in our lord jesus christ because you follow the example of true love as displayed by god and have accompanied as as became you, those who were bound in chains, the fitting ornaments of saints, and which are indeed the, the diadems of the true elect of God and our Lord. And because the strong root of your faith, spoken in days long gone by, endures even until now, and ba- brings forth fruit to our Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sins suffered even unto death, but whom God raised from the dead. I'm pretty sure... Brandon, you might deny the resurrection. Therefore, you have no savior. You stand on your own, trying to make your own case against God for all the bad things you've done in your life. If you ever told a lie, if you ever stolen anything, if you ever lusted after someone that's not your wife, you would be sinning against the living God and you would stand condemned to be separate from him. A just and loving, kind God cannot allow evil in his presence. That is why there is heaven and hell. It is loving to send people who do not want to surrender their sins to Christ to be separate from God. They cannot be in 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 the in front of perfection, which is the living God. And again, over and over, and even he has he has this in other videos too, calling for justice, creating a just and equal world. Well. I guess that begs the question, no? Why is there injustice in the world? Could it be because of original sin or the fall, which he would also deny in other episodes that he that he releases? Why is there injustice? Why have people tried to create charities and then a few generations later, a dictator shows up and seizes all the all the money, all the assets from that organization, and then People are left desolate, poor, starving, whatever it may be, oppressed. That's a, that's a word that they probably like using, oppressed. Why? Oh, because they're sinful by nature. Because they are evil by nature. That is why we need to be redeemed. We cannot be redeemed unless we surrender to Jesus Christ himself, who came to take away our sin. We haven't been perfected yet. But in order to create his kingdom, which will be just, which will be per- perfect, in which there will be no more tears, no more sorrow. He's going to take that all away. But only by trusting in him and by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit can we possibly hope to create a long-lasting kingdom on earth as we wait for our 
Lord, Savior, and friend that we can approach who is interceding for us at this very moment, Amen. Jesus Christ. Any closing thoughts, Theodore? Amen. Yeah, amen. That was a good closer. That's why we have found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael the Man Behind the Machine, and to my virtual front first has been... Sebastian the Bookkeeper. And second but not last or least has been... Theodore, under the PC, the person of Christ. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. If you want to see the rest of our episodes in visual form, you'll have to go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause or look us up on YouTube at foundcause there. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you might find your podcast. Until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>